Hello, and welcome to ASMR Tirar de Juego. Are you hoping to calm your mind, relax your body, or experience ASMR? Dr. Andrew Michaels is here to help you. Today, you are once again back at the Department of Navy Special Services, anxious to continue your research on the very early beginnings of the Office of Astrobiology. Hello, welcome back. It's nice to see you. No, not at all. Don't worry, I expected you to start calling for a guide from the front desk one of these days. Oh, no, don't misunderstand me. I'm actually pleased. Yes, it usually takes people a couple more visits before they give up on the unusual floor plan we have here. Yes, everyone humbles themselves eventually, and then we just need to send an intern to guide them back to the office. Not that we get a lot of visitors. No, I am certainly not an intern. But you happened to call just as I was grabbing some paperwork to take to a different department, so I thought I would swing by and pick you up myself on the way back. No, that's above your clearance level, sorry. We're going to turn right and go down this hallway. I hope I didn't make you wait too long. Good, I'm glad. I had to secure some of the material you were working with after you left last time, but I tried to leave everything as undisturbed as possible. Let's get you back to work. Good afternoon. When we left you last, you were hearing a story of Roswell, New Mexico, 1947. You were hearing the story of Dr. Andrew Michaels meeting the aliens from the emergency crash landing of a UFO in Roswell, New Mexico, on a farmer's ranch in June 1947. You were hearing it from the perspective of the aliens themselves. They were so ill they were not able to communicate properly using what we would call ESP or telepathy to speak mind to mind, to share their thoughts with us. It was only until they received proper medical care that they were able to heal enough to achieve this function and communicate and reach out to Dr. Andrew Michaels and speak to him mind to mind. The amazing part from the alien's perspective was that Dr. Andrew Michaels was waiting for them to talk to him. And today, we explain why our fine doctor in 1947 held a doctorate in the science of astrobiology before the aliens landed at Roswell, 
New Mexico. Of course, I am waiting for you to speak to me, Dr. Andrew Michaels said, to the two aliens lying on hospital beds before him. They were taken back, so moved by the fact that he was waiting for them to communicate with him, that one of the aliens, the one who was more healed than the other, raised his spindly arm and fingers to his own face, a look of shock that was surprisingly human in nature. The good doctor chuckled to himself and laughed, and he adjusted his seat and pulled it up closer to the hospital bed and sat down beside the aliens and began to talk to them. And this is what he told them. It was October 1939, and a small craft much like your own, crash-landed outside the city limits of New York City in what we call the land of New Jersey. It was a very rural area, and the ship didn't crash in the same fashion that yours did. It completely disintegrated. All we found were tiny, tiny pieces the ship was literally blown out of the air by some kind of weapon, some kind of attack, much like artillery shoots down an airplane on Earth. I hope you can understand that. I hope you can visualize the thoughts that I'm trying to communicate to you. Our technology is far behind your own, but we understand the concepts and the constructs that you use, we are just unable to recreate them. Human beings are like that. They are ingenious, inventive, creative creatures. We're chameleons where we see technology from others and instantly adapt to it, duplicate it, copy it. You can't tell one from the other sometimes. Human beings are like that. And I can see that you can perceive my thoughts and see things from my point of view as a human man. Somebody literally shot this small landing pod out of the sky and destroyed it. Luckily, a small escape pod was able to release from the ship. What I learned later was... It was a family, a parent, and their child. And they were trying desperately to get to Earth and warn us, much in the same way you are trying to warn us now here in Roswell. The alien threat is real. And there are many people that are preying upon the innocence and naivety of the human race, the species that dominates this planet, is very much in danger constantly from sources outside our planetary boundaries. And it's amazing that there are races out there that want to help us 
protect us. Give us a fighting chance against these enemies. This was another race like yourself, but different. They didn't look exactly the same, but they communicated the same way through mental telepathy, through ESP. And the young one that survived the crash was in a pod that was released from the ship when it blew up. It was an automatic system, so the minute the ship started to disintegrate and blow up, the pod containing this child that was being protected inside the pod during the landing released, and that's the only reason he survived the explosion and the crash. He went on to tell me how his father put him in the pod during the landing sequence. It's never easy to land on another planet. The easy part is actually kind of to get there. The math is simple. You set up a trajectory. You work out how long it'll take at X speed or how you're going to warp space to get there. And everything is pretty much done by math. The hard part is still technically a ballistic object has to enter the atmosphere at a certain angle to get through the atmosphere to land properly. And these ships only have enough fuel usually to land and get back off the planet. They don't carry enough fuel and um, means to get from our world to back to their interstellar space. They just aren't big enough. They're just landing craft. That's what we see. And a UFO is a good ballistic shape for a landing craft. Something that looks basically like an acorn. Well, kind of. The bottom line is, this pod landed in New Jersey, and this tiny little creature started a panic. The panic was so pronounced, I had to get with a actor friend I knew in New York City, and he had to do a fake Halloween UFO Invasion from Mars t uh, radio show to cover it up. That's right. Orson Welles was helping the United States government in 1939 cover up the landing of an actual UFO. And this alien was in, well, more dire circumstances than you were in some ways. You see, he was a child, a very young child of their species. He had stored in his memories, kind of like a computer would, memories that would pass the mission on if need be. He was like a fail-safe in case something like this happened. But he didn't really understand that knowledge. He didn't understand the ramifications of what had happened to him. He was that young. It was almost like a toddler. Even though he didn't look like a toddler, he just looked like a small alien creature. He, he looked fully developed. He was actually very, very young. And it wasn't until we gave him tools to communicate with us that we knew the full scale and breadth of what his knowledge was 
you know, that he wanted to give us, but also his actual problem. And that was that he was a child. He was a very, very young child and he was abandoned, lost. And his father broke with his government to warn us. You see, you two that came in 1947 were emissaries from your government. Eventually your government will come looking for you and they'll find you in good order and safe and healthy and we will parlay and build a relationship with your government and it will be a healthy experience for both. But in this case, this child was orphaned in 1939 under less approved circumstances. His father being a politician who refused to go along with the non-intervention policy of his own government. He knew what the alien races that despise humanity and their own race were doing, unknowing to the human race, and he set out to warn us single-handedly to change the course of history on our planet and actually change the fate of his own. You see, there was a reason his government did not want him to contact the United States America government, which at that time was seen as a bastion of freedom in 1939, a citadel for freedom, <laughs> Fortress America. The rest of the world was plunging into human rights violations left or right through communism, fascism, and national socialism. Genocide was sweeping the world all over the globe. The only place that really offered any hope was the United States of America. And they had problems of their own. They weren't that advanced. They were one step away from joining the rest of humanity in destroying itself. But they had to try. And maybe if somebody told them the truth, gave them knowledge, expanded their reasoning and expanded their, their understanding of the universe, maybe they would change. It was the hope of this scientist. He implanted many, many memories in his child's head like I said before, his child was a fail-safe in case something went wrong. And yes, something did go wrong. His own government destroyed his craft as it was entering our atmosphere. The only thing that saved his child was the automated systems that in a fraction of a second released the pod. Luckily, he had his child in the escape pod during the landing sequence for safety purposes. The last memory burned in my mind, and I can see it like through his eyes, was that child sitting in that pod, looking through the porthole at his own father, the missile coming in many times the speed of sound to crash into their ship, the father turning his hand raising. I don't want to say what they shared between them, 
but a flurry, a flurry of emotions, all in the speed of a second. And then his loved one was taken away from him. The pod that he landed in was damaged from the attack, but luckily the emergency beacon that would have alerted its survival was shut off. This was done ahead of time by his father, forewarned that he might fail. The child took me to the pod that was being stored in a secret Air Force base, and we worked diligently to learn all the systems. And as I talked to the child, I realized, and it took quite a while to realize, we were talking to a toddler. In equivalency, this was like a two-year-old boy. He was giving us knowledge far above what a two-year-old human would give, but it wasn't his own knowledge. It was implanted knowledge. Like I said, he was being used as a living computer. But the good thing that came out of it was I learned to talk mentally, to express my thoughts through mannerism, through my thoughts, that you could, you could convey whole books of knowledge in the space of a second to another creature, the speed at which you can transfer knowledge and data through mental awareness and mental connection to another mind is staggering. It would take me 30 minutes to explain this story to you if I just spoke into a microphone. But if I could communicate through my mind, you would have the entire story in a matter of seconds. You would visualize it. You would see it. You would see through my eyes the sadness of this child. He broke down many times. He would touch the pod that brought him there. It was his only connection to his world, and he was orphaned from it literally forever, a traitor to his government's wishes. I told some young writers the story, and it spurred another fiction. That's right, the story of Superman from Krypton was inspired by this story, an orphan segregated from his world, a lone survivor of a planet that had turned its back on him. They tell a different version. Krypton explodes and blows up and it's gone. That's just to simplify the narrative to allow Superman to become one of us. But in reality, couldn't be further from the truth. This young child could not and would not assimilate into our culture. For one, he looked nothing like us. We couldn't disguise that fact. 
we were able to take him around some children under the guise of wearing costumes for Halloween, for wearing costumes at Christmas time. He was around some of my children, even. They thought he was an elf. And it was a costume, and it was a mask. But we were able to dupe people. But this only lasted a little while. Depression and sadness and sorrow were too much. This child needed to go back home. And even though in his mind he was complicit with his father's wishes and a traitor as his father was, in our morality he was not a criminal because his father was the one who committed those acts against the government, not the child. He was an innocent victim of it. We tried to understand their laws. I think we did. And sending him back would be like a fate of death. He would be sentenced to death. But I studied their law the best I could, and it was very hard for me. Their morality was more black and white than ours. They had cast off a lot of the gray areas that our law books define for special circumstances, special situations. Just to keep it simple, there is a reason every court case should be taken separately, and the law should be applied equally and separately to each case depending on the merits of the case. Their government, their world, their people had evolved past that because you knew better. There was a sense of, well, you knew better. Morality. You had all the information before you committed the crime. So there is no special circumstances, special dispensation for your crime. But there was a chance to parley. There was a chance for negotiation. Because the father had implanted the memories into the child, he really wasn't a willing participant. And if I could convince his government, I could spare his life. He would be taken back into the fold as a orphan and reassigned to another family to be raised, and all would be forgiven. The point was, though, to save them the embarrassment and not let on that they were willing participants in warning the human race against the alien invaders was a tricky subject because if it looked like they were covertly telling us information, protecting us, sharing information, they would break the treaty they had with this same alien race and their entire civilization would be put at risk. You see, if I took the child back and the thoughts in my mind infiltrated the thoughts of their community, 
They had spies that would pick up on these thoughts. Thoughts spread like fire in their communities. They can't stop thinking and stop knowledge from spreading. It's like everyone knows everyone's business. So they've evolved past, you know, say, getting married and never cheating on your wife because you know you cheated on your wife or your husband. You know the minute you did it. You know while they're in the act of doing it. That's a human example, but it's an example nonetheless. If I entered their society and my thoughts were read, this knowledge that we were warned would travel through their population and eventually their enemies would pick up on it. They constantly spied on each other. That's what telepaths do. So there's a double-edged sword. If I take this child back, I could possibly condemn the entire race to annihilation. We're not talking about races that blow up a city or declare war. We're talking about alien races that blow up, crack planets in half. And they can do it any time at will. You see, not telling the earth also protects the earth. Even though we are being preyed upon by these alien creatures, the earth is, is at the whim of these races. If they think the human race is going to become violent and antagonistic towards them and try to usurp their control and authority in the universe, they'll just blow up the planet Earth. We only live on one planet, and we're gone. We're not going to survive that kind of planetary destruction. And these other races are in the same predicament. And they love their children, too. You wouldn't want a planet with billions of creatures on it to suddenly be wiped out of existence. That many telepaths dying all at the same time would literally destroy the minds of the entire race. The death throes of billions of people. Think about that all dying a horrible, painful death all at the same time. The screams of anguish would buffet an entire race's mind and destroy them no matter where they were, no matter what they did to protect themselves from it. There's drawbacks to having all-knowing and all-possible knowledge. There's weaknesses in everything, and there's always going to be somebody out there willing to weaponize it. It was almost a coin flip. If I flip the coin, heads up, I take the boy back to his people. I risk the entire annihilation of an entire species that actually was benevolent to us, tried to save us, tried to help us. The pod the child brought would take a hundred years to decipher. Just that pod just the information he was giving us was priceless beyond 
any dreams of greed on the planet. It was like a solid moon of gold landed at your doorstep. I flip the coin. It's tails. I sit and watch a two-year-old toddler slowly atrophy, slowly get sick, slowly get depressed. Nobody to stimulate his mind, his reasoning. No one to teach him the ways of his people. I watch him die. I sit there, and for the love of country, for the love of my world, and for the safety of his own, I sit there and watch him die. You know what the best part of all this is? Yeah, he already knows. Everything I just told you, this toddler knows. It's staring right at me. His eyes. I'm seeing what he's seeing through his own eyes. Like the master connecting with his dog and seeing the innocence and the beauty of the dog trying to communicate the love and loyalty, the fear and the sadness of being a loyal, trusty pet, but not wanting to be a pet, but be part of the pack, part of your family, part of your life. I see the child looking at me, and he knows, he knows everything I just told you. And through his eyes, I see him looking at me, holding a silver dollar, deciding on a flip. His fate being held in my hand on the flip of a coin. I can't even tell you what it's like to make that decision. And the good thing is you probably already know what happened. I laid the coin down. I picked up the child's hand and I said, Come on. I'm taking you back to your people. We're going to look for a third option. Thank you for joining me today in this story. I hope you enjoyed it. And I know the 4th of July is coming soon. I hope you have a wonderful holiday and a safe holiday with your family. Please be safe. Wear your masks, PPE, keep your social distance from others. You can still have a good life and a full life without having to go run around in crowds. I'm saying this because I've seen the numbers, I've seen the math, and I am very worried about my fellow Americans this wonderful Independence Day. Stay safe, my brothers and sisters. Stay safe, everyone around the globe. Thank you. 
Take care. And until I see all of you again, have a most blessed day. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us for ASMR Tirar de Huello. Please take a moment to share, rate, and review this podcast. It really does help. If you are interested in additional ASMR content, you may view our library of videos at youtube.com slash The theme song, Atlantis, is by Jason Shaw of Audionautics.com and is used by permission. Correspondence, including questions or requests, may be sent to tirardehuel at gmail.com. On behalf of Dr. Andrew Michaels, thank you.